0: I'm James Hahn II. And
1: I'm Mark LaCour.
0: And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you, I believe, one one or two more times by Model Point and Tribe Rocket Inc. Welcome in to episode number 69, Mr. Mark LaCour.
1: Yeah, good to be here. Uh, do we, we don't really need to talk about us too much, do we?
0: No, we don't need to talk about <laughs> us too much. Um, I'm I'm ready
1: for a new sponsor in so we can quit talking about us.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, we have to start off at the top of the show, worst terrorist attack, uh, or at least mass shooting on American soil. I'm pretty happy that we don't have to spend a whole lot of time. We get to do something besides think and talk about that. So just quickly off top, we have to say our thoughts and prayers are with all of the families that are suffering in our nation in general. And do you have anything to add, Mark?
1: No, it's just, our, like you said, our prayers go out to the families of of, of the victims out there. Um, don't want to get too much into anything else around this because <laughs> we just don't want to.
0: Yeah, for sure. So so not to be flippant about it because it's definitely a, a horrible tragedy, but it's also a great reprieve that we can talk about something besides the tragedies going on. So let's get into something pretty cool that you ran into. It, what summit was it at the George R. Brown this, this week? The Pump Summit Americas. Pump Summit Americas, and you ran into somebody putting together something pretty cool, I thought. Uh,
1: No, really cool. So when you think about pumps and oil and gas, what's the one thing you probably never would connect with that?
0: Anything digital, especially (laughs) social media.
1: Yeah, so uh, a big shout out to uh, Charlie Matthews. Charlie Spell with an I. She's a wonderful young woman. And she has a whole social media thing built around pumps, and it's called Empowering Pumps. And so she's using social to help boost the business of these companies that are in the pump world. And I just think that's the coolest thing.
0: Yeah, I, I'm all in on this. So, empoweringpumps.com, connecting the pump systems community. And w- what a, you know, if only she would get more niche. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Charlie, a little bit too wide there right you can, you <laughs> you just niche it down a little bit harder uh so shout out to charlie and then um you had one from tim mead who's a field engineer at Halliburton australia
1: yeah so tim reached out to me on on, on social on linkedin and uh, basically um wanted to connect with me and told me how big a fan he was of the podcast and the uh, oil and gas global network group so shout out tim um Tim's a little bit worried about this low crude price, and I, let him, I reassured him. It's like, it's coming back, I promise.
0: It's coming back, yeah, right. pretty much right on schedule with what you've been saying. And then I got a few people. Cameron Hanover, I uh, met him first at the rig tour. He has a great question coming up for the first Friday Q&A in a couple weeks. Blake McCarthy is in operations and technical services at Waterstone Resources, LLC. in Trey Jordan, he's going to be graduating I think he said he's in his last semester or maybe next year. But regardless, he's a petroleum engineering student at Texas A&M University. So uh, what is it? Gigam? <laughs> Gigam? <'em. laughs> oh, I almost tripped on that one. But we have a trip to take around the globe. Let's kick it off in China, where OPEC has its way as China oil output cut by most, by most in 15 years. And I'm very curious to hear your, your take on this. Yeah, so
1: the numbers in here, the facts in here are are good, and there's a good graph showing the the cut in the output both of crude oil and coal. But this doesn't really have much to do with OPEC. <laughs> it's 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 amazing, and and I'm tired of saying this over and over again. It's amazing the people that don't understand that OPEC's first thing OPEC did nothing. They just didn't cut production, and they're not trying to put oil companies out of business either here or in China. Um, they did it for uh, a. Uh, geopolitical reasons because they use the price of oil as a weapon. That's that's their battleship. Um, But the other thing that's going on here that they don't talk about too much is China's economy is slowing down, and China's production of oil actually is more expensive than them importing oil, especially in this low crude price market. So it's just a fiscal thing, right? If it costs you $60 a barrel to produce it in your country and you can buy it on the open market for $47 a barrel, what are you going to do? You could buy it for $47 a barrel. Um, When the price goes up, Productions will swing back up as their economy uh, uh, Ramps up it will go back up if their economy continues to slow down the production will go down The other thing that they mentioned here, which is actually I think the bigger story is they're um, looking to get away from coal so coal is horrible from an environmental point of view. The pollution in China is 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 almost. I mean, it's it's if you actually see it in real life, it's crazy to think that people live in that type of environment. And China knows it needs to get away from that. So they're they're switching from coal-fired power plants to natural gas-fired power plants, which is better for the environment. It's also better for the global gas industry. So um, good facts, good numbers, but the way that the, they slant on this is just wrong.
0: This is really fascinating to me because that's exactly why I said I was very curious to hear your take because we're so used to talking about on this show how American producers are always, oh, my goodness, OPEC is out to get us. And now we have an analyst who everything is about OPEC in terms of the the worldview globally.
1: Yeah. and And, you know, one of the many things that i predict um, is that i think we have seen the best days of opec pass i I think opec has been destabilized i think as we improve our technologies and we build the infrastructure in the u.s i think the u.s will be the swing state i think the u.s will be able to outproduce opec at a moment's notice Um, and so it's going to be interesting politically to see what happens in the next 10 years
0: definitely now you threw an article in here that is Pretty fascinating about what's going on with BP's Norwegian activities, introducing Norway's new oil and gas behemoth.
1: Yeah, this is, this is a major deal that that really didn't get any play. So BP has basically taken all their North Sea activities, right? And they were one of the, um, the first people in the North Sea, and they have a lot of um, production out there. And, they're, for, and they're, um, they're basically merging with a Norwegian company um, called Det Norsk. And that Norsk is actually owned by uh, Acker in a large majority. So this new company is going to be called Acker BP and it's going to be their North Sea operations. Now, unfortunately for the North Sea, their fields are mature and um, their oil is expensive to get out because of the environment. Um, And so where I think this company could go – so I think BP exited from a piece of its business that long-term-wise was not very profitable, which is smart. I think – um, Acker went through this deal, went through this merger because they could increase the scope, literally the size of their company. And I think what they're going to do, James, is they're going to start making investments outside the North Sea. So it's going to be a North Sea company that financially is in good place because it's so big. But I think they're going to start picking up assets in other parts of the world, start going to production there. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and it is quite a quite a big deal. And you, you're as far as I can tell, you're the only person that that noticed it.
1: Yeah. Well, you would hope I'd notice something this big in the oil and
0: gas industry. Um, it, it's going to be
1: interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens. So this is the beginning. I mean, it's going to end up being a, a $1.3 billion a year company, which is not super major size. But if they
0: start investing in the
1: pipelines and in, in refineries and you know petrochemicals as well as upstream assets, this could be the beginning of a new super major.
0: Very interesting. All right. Now, moving things back home. Oh, man, I'm I'm just going to wade into this one. I'm going to tiptoe into this one, actually, because it is a firestorm, political firestorm. And as much as we try to avoid politics, here we go. Exxon fights Massachusetts Attorney General's political probe, quote, political probe into climate change dissent.
1: Yeah, so I stay away from politics because I need to deal with facts, um, both in my business and, and when w- what we do in the public and what we do on the show. I don't want to have a political slant. If we're wrong or if one side's right and the other side is, is you know, we, we pull it out. So I'm going to wait right here in the politics. This is a very much a political agenda um, pushed out by the uh, Massachusetts Attorney General, uh, Mara Healy, and it's just wrong. It is wrong for her to, to launch an investigation into Exxon, into climate change. I, and I mean, I've actually heard stuff where there's some, um, you know, some um, senators and representatives that want to actually pass laws where if people deny climate change, that that it's it's against the law. And I mean, this is turning into. I mean, if you let this thing go, this is turning into very much a socialist control. And the thing that I find so just unbelievable that it's even gone this far is the documents that everybody's talking about that are supposedly secret were not secret. Exxon had them peer review So Exxon's climate scientists, this was back in the 70s, they found a field. Um, they knew that if they developed that field, it would release a lot of, carb- a lot of carbon dioxide. And so they put their climate scientists on it to see what the effect would be. Their climate scientists came to their own findings and then peer-reviewed it, which means they shared it with all the other client scientists in the world to see if anybody could pick holes in, in their in their formulas and in their models and all that sort of stuff. And then ultimately, Exxon decided not to develop the field because it wasn't uh, wasn't going to be pro- profitable. And so then 40 years later, stuff like this has happened. So Exxon's having to spend their money to fight something that is literally just a a political stab at the oil and gas industry Um, the thing that i will be interested to see what happens i know exxon well in fact i was just at a client's um, facility earlier this morning and i was talking to the head of their exxon account and we were both kind of talking about this it's like they they massachusetts has no idea who they're picking with First thing, our industry is full of cowboys and roughnecks, and you don't kick a cowboy or a roughneck unless you expect to get in a fight. Second thing, Exxon has a lot of resources and a lot of very smart uh, attorneys and so I think the Massachusetts um, uh, attorney generals could basically get her butt handed in a plate somewhere down the
0: road. The thing that really bothers me about this and and I heard about this by way of Alex Epstein who had a very pointed response. To the Attorney General, which you can read about—excuse <clears throat> me, read about in the story if you want to—but this is well. I—it's exactly what I said when I shared that on Facebook and tagged you. Welcome to the Salem Witch Trials 2016 edition. I mean, it's 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 looking for anyone. If if we keep going down this road, our podcast is going to be censored.
1: Yeah, so this is very much an abuse of, pr- of prosecution power, right? Our forefathers probably would put her in jail for
0: doing this. So let's
1: let's – we'll make sure we stay on top of this story, but this is just utterly ridiculous.
0: Utterly, utterly stupefyingly ridiculous. All right, moving on uh, to following up on a story that we talked about last week. Much Ado about a- ethane, why Shell is interested in this gas that goes into many products.
1: Because uh, Shell knows what the heck it's doing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we've talked about ethylene crackers in the U.S. quite a bit. Um, you know, I'm going to make another forecast, which is probably going to be put into our 2016 forecast oil and gas industry. I think we're going to hit an ethylene shortage globally. So if you, if I'm right, the companies that are developing this this um, ethylene crackers are getting ready to make a lot of money in the next couple of years. Um, um, so, because the prices will go through the roof when we hit a shortage. And the reason I think we're going to hit a shortage, if you do the math, ethylene is a component of natural gas, just like methane. And if you do the math, w- what's happening is you have them developing um, countries around the world, India and China, where they're growing a middle class. So, all of a sudden, they need things like Tupperware, right? Disposable um, forks and knives, soda straws. Um, plastic wrap for their their, um, dry cleaning, which there's never been a need for that before. And so that's all plastic. And so there's this huge global demand starting, and I think will continue for the next probably 50 to 75 years of a need for all these plastics. And what's happening is in the U.S., the companies, U.S. companies, and I say U.S., I mean Royal Dutch Shell is a European company, but Europe and the U.S. companies have realized that this big market demand is coming, and so they're trying to get ahead of it, and they're building these ethylene crackers. So this story goes through um, what's going on as far as ethylene, uh, where it comes from, what Shell's involvement in in this. But I I think Shell pulled the trigger at the right time, doing the right place, along with every other company that's built an ethylene crackers in the U.S.
0: Yeah, it's really amazing to think about the potential for growth that's going to happen when it comes to these emerging markets that you're talking about, because. Yeah, these are – well, you would mentioned China and India, the two most populated countries on earth, suddenly, yeah. having, a, suddenly having a middle class.
1: Yeah, in Africa, right? It's another place where that's starting to happen. And what's happening is oil and gas is being converted into products and not necessarily being used as fuel. So it's still being used. It's just being turned into something else besides fuel. Um, a, a statistic uh, many of our viewers may not know, but 60% of the world is fed with fertilizer from natural gas so you have all these fertilizer plants being stood up to supply that need and what's what's so cool about the us and i think james you and i have talked about this offline but maybe not on the mic but we're in the perfect position to capture all of that market we have the cheapest feedstock right the the crude natural gas we have here that's in the u.s is dirt cheap um, we have the most efficient refineries, right? N- nobody else can build refineries that are as efficient as we do. And we have the cheapest transportation costs because we have deep water ports on every single coast. Nobody else nobody else is in this situation. So the Middle East has realized this market potential. They're building um, petrochemical plants, refineries. They have cheaper feedstock than we do, but they have more expensive um, Transpiration costs in their refineries are not as efficient. China is seeing all this right, but they don't have the cheap feedstock um, Nor do they have the, the cheap transportation So um, and and they can't build up a refiner's efficient as well So the US is in, a, in an area where we're going to capture all of this market, which is just great for our economy and for our industry um, And as long as our politicians <laughs> don't get involved and screw it up we're we're sitting in a pretty place for the next hundred years
0: So walk me through this real quick because we we stand up an ethylene cracker and it's being produced, and then is it going into pipelines, and then eventually being exported through pipelines or barges or both?
1: Yeah. So uh, ethylene is what is converted to things like polyethylene, right? But you need that ethylene, so so they they basically use chemistry uh, to crack the ethylene molecules off. And then that's shipped as a – it's actually compressed as a liquid. It, it, it can be flown through a pipeline, but eventually it hits a compressor station somewhere. Then it's compressed in a liquid. Then you can load it on a, on a, uh, you know, a tanker and, and then ship it somewhere in the world. And then when it gets there, they offload it as a liquid. They go through another chemical process, which then turns into plastics.
0: Well, that's pretty damn exciting, honestly. That's (laughs) that's a huge market. No, no, I'm I'm being genuine. That is a huge market that is – I'm very happy to see very smart people in America looking forward and saying, here's a market. We're going to capture it. Yeah, and what's
1: cool about it is since the end product is not manufactured here, this is just the raw ingredients for it, these ethylene crackers, it makes the most business sense to put them wherever the natural gas is. So this – um, these jobs are being put in parts of the country that have gas but normally have no other industry in places like Ohio, right, and Pennsylvania, and any place there's gas, there are ethylene crackers being stood up, uh, which just helps the economy as a whole in those parts of the country.
0: It's a beautiful thing. All right, so let's move offshore. Transocean, can the shale sweet spot be applied to the offshore drilling sector as well? What do you think, Mark? No. <laughs> <laughs> It's that simple. It really is. It's it's two radically
1: different business models. So offshore, and whether it's on the shelf or, or altered deep water, offshore, they do all the math and science up front. So they know exactly what they have to do to be profitable. And then it's a matter of hitting a milestone and delivery dates. If that project hits its milestones and delivery dates, the, the project is profitable. If it slips, it's not. Compared to onshore, especially hydraulic fracking, where it's about – um efficiencies It's it's a factory factoryized way to to drill, right? It's like Toyota building Camrys. How quickly can you get that drill rig moved? How quickly can you punch a hole in the ground? How quickly can you um, go into production? How quickly can you move that rig and punch another hole in the ground? So the business models are two radically different things. The whole sweet spot uh, works in the frack fields because in a play, you can have different operators and and different uh, geologies where some companies make money and some companies don't. Offshore, all the science is done up front. Um, Now, with all that said, one of the things that I think this low crude price environment is going to drive is standardization offshore, which has been sorely missing, and that's going to reduce the cost offshore. So um, the, trying to find the same sweet spot that happens on land doesn't work, but it is going to drive efficiencies because it's forced standardization.
0: It's interesting you say the standardization because that's one of the things that we talked about at least you were in the back with your um, camera on your helmet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at the rig tour, he was talking a lot about, um, and maybe you can enlighten me because I, I can't remember his name by now, but regardless, talking a lot about these problems of standardization and how different companies do things so, so differently, kind of the foot versus meter type of a situation where it's very inefficient just because there is no there are no standards out there. No, and it's it's
1: it's if you actually get to see it, you wonder how they make money at all. So BP will have different standards in the Gulf of Mexico than BP has in the North Sea, than BB has in North Africa, and then Chevron has different standards than BP, both in the Gulf of Mexico and North Africa. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And, on, and it's just this mess. Um, if they would standardize, even if the standardization leaned toward the most robustness, right, the most expensive, um, um um process and procedure and then actual equipment like blowout preventers and trees but if they were just standardized even on the most expensive it would still save them billions of dollars
0: yeah absolutely and so just for anybody who who doesn't know bring us up to speed on what we what we're talking about when we say standardization um so like i said every operator has
1: its own standards that it uses when it in the process of drilling when it sources a drill rig And when it buys things like drill stem, drill bits, um, blowout preventers, trees, manifolds, plets, pipelines. And so everyone is completely different. So if you're a Cameron, every one of your customers requires something different, which means you have to make 300 different types of trees, right? Whereas if they would standardize, if Shell and BP and and Anadarko and Log would get together and go, here's a tree we're going to use for these conditions, then Cameron, by efficiencies, can make just a couple of trees that would serve everybody, which would drive cost down.
0: That, that would require a whole lot of transparency. I'm not sure. I'm pretty skeptical, Mark. It's, it's coming in a lot of stuff because it's being forced.
1: They have no choice. Um, and it's also probably going to be driven, at least in the U.S., a little bit by um, s- some of the laws that have been passed, Some of the, like SIMS and things like that, where you, know, you have to have an audit trail, where you have to have um, the, the ability to track every single thing that happened. The only way you can do that effectively is to have some type of standardization.
0: So we've talked a lot about offshore drilling here, but we haven't said anything about Transocean. How does Transocean play into this particular narrative?
1: Um, so Transocean is is an offshore drilling contractor. Transocean is a, – is a, a, or what they do is actually very capital intensive. You know, when times were hot, it, it may be a million dollars – their day rate may be a million dollars a day per rig. When I say they're a drilling contractor, if you don't know, somebody like BP doesn't own a single drill rig. Right? They rent one from somebody like Transocean or Sea um, Drill or whatever. And so um, what Transocean is doing is trying to standardize how they do stuff to lower their cost. But in order to do that, they have to get their clients, which are the BPs and the Anadarkas and Exxons, to agree upon standardization.
0: Got it. All right. So keeping with the sh- uh, offshore theme, um, over to empmag.com. How How to keeping an offshore drilling pioneer afloat.
1: Yeah, great article. This is about Diamond Offshore, which is another drilling contractor, just like Transocean. And they're talking about the CEO, Mark Edwards. So Mark Edwards uh, came into the company that, for years, just made money hands over fist, to, just to be quite blunt. And then the the um, the low crew price hit. So he had to radically change the company, and he did it. And he he did it um, in, in ways that are is almost revolutionary. So one of the first things that he did is try to make sure that all his employees – and management bought into the same future had the same vision in the organization now you don't normally think of that happening anywhere in oil and gas much less an offshore drilling contractor um but what what he stressed is that when you know people wake up in the morning and they're putting their makeup on and they're shaving when they look in that mirror they actually see their competition it's not the other drilling companies out there that are their competition it's them can they innovate can they change things can they make things better in their space and so he he pulled all this stuff off um, Change the company's culture, which is always the hardest thing to do. Um, reduce their footprint. Unfortunately, he had to have some layoffs and, and shut down some um, facilities and some offices. But when he when he went through the the um, the layoffs part, he insisted that every departure, every time they laid somebody off, was done face to face. And he treated people the right way and he put a lot of work and effort and money in trying to help these people find jobs even though he had to lay them off so you know great guy great philosophy came in at a really hard time in the industry and but made a big impact
0: it's a couple of his quotes that stand out to me it's always interesting to hear someone say we were printing money but um they they were they were they were printing money but the it just shows you that the type of leader that this man is when he says if i get hit by a bus tomorrow I know that this company is going to be all right. That's how, that's how deep he's driven the culture in a company.
1: Yeah, so let me tell something that the operators out there are probably really happy to head in the, here, and the drilling contractors probably put a, a bounty on my head for saying it. But when times were when times were great, when everything was at a peak, especially deep water, um, the markup, the margins, the unadjusted, not final, but the unadjusted margins on those drill ships were probably about 40%, 45%. That's how much money they were raking in, so they were printing money.
0: Yeah, printing a lot of money, and some of them, uh, not, not so, uh, <laughs> and I should say some of them, at least one of them, not so ethically. So this is an interesting article from Bloomberg, Why Billions in Proven Shale Oil Reserves Suddenly Became Unproven.
1: Yeah, this is a good article as opposed to the other article i didn't like so this is talking about barrels under reserve which is a legal term and it basically means how much oil do you know you have now there's some gray area in there and what happened is companies will unfortunately some companies the unscrupulous ones who manipulate that to show that they have more barrels on reserve than they actually have to increase the valuation and this is talking about a perfect example that ultra petroleum um it's in the penny stocks now but at one point it was worth about 15 billion dollars at the peak in 2012. And so um, about half of their reserves were just erased from the books because they weren't proven. They weren't real reserves. Now, this this is no different than we had the housing crisis and you had financial institutions mixing up uh, very high-risk uh, um, mortgages, so people that pretty sure couldn't pay it even though they got the mortgage, with normal-risk mortgages to increase the valuation of that that portfolio, but it really wasn't. It was it was a sham, right? Because a lot of the the portfolio is made of people that, quite frankly, weren't able to pay their mortgages, and that caused the housing bust that we went through. This is the same thing. And so the SEC gets involved, which limits SEC controls um, the, the financials and the legal stuff around stocks to make sure that if you're an investor, you don't get uh, you know. Um, taken advantage of. And so the SEC is involved in this to try to figure out how to make sure your valuation on paper is accurate. And, and they're coming up with some good stuff. Um, and, and, and so you know, this should happen less and less. But quite honestly, because we live in a capital, um, capitalistic um, business environment in the U.S., if you have a company that wants to be unscrupulous, they can get away with it for a little while.
0: They can get away with it for a little while. And I'll come out and say that that's all right because eventually the market will catch up to them and they will be crushed. Yep.
1: <laughs> so, That's exactly what happens. Unfortunately, if you're a shareholder, um, you're not in a good place.
0: You're not in a good place, and, but you know, um, buyer beware, right? No, exactly right. Do your due diligence. Do your due diligence. And all right, we're, we're rounding the corner on, on the stories here. Uh, one company that is very diligent in everything they do, Schlumberger, essential in an increasingly technological industry.
1: Yeah, so Slumbergay is a technology company. That's what they pride themselves on. They buy technology left and right. Um, for my technology clients that want to get acquired, we make sure we get in front of Slumbergay because we know Slumbergay likes to buy stuff. So um, this is a very good article. The only little thing I have issue with it is they compare uh, Slumbergay to uh, companies like ExxonMobil and Chevron. Well, they're in different parts of the
0: industry. <laughs> they're
1: a service company, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. instead of an operator. Um, but what's happening is Schlumberger has decided during this downturn to not spend as much effort and money to keep their stock value high. So their stock value is actually devalued right now. But they're doing that because they're hanging on to people and they're also still doing acquisitions, right? They just bought Cameron, which is long-term wise could be awesome for them. So, um, so I expect Schlumberger's stock price to come back. Um, I, I, you know, With a true transparency, I'm actually a stockholder, shareholder of I've, um They usually do really well. They're a smart company. Um, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with this Cameron acquisition because now they're moving into the manufacturing side, besides their normal services side. Um, I, I think that's just gonna benefit them long term. I, I think the market sees that as well, right? You just had uh, Technique acquire FMC, even though they call it a merger, they actually acquired them. Um, so it's you know it's it's this gonna be interesting moving forward. Um, Slumberj is really kind of leading the front in a lot of um, of of. Um, total portfolio solutions for the oil and gas industry, right? So literally touching it from cradle to grave. And I think that's where we're going. You know, we talked about that earlier about standardization. Well, even standardization on the service companies you use can can lead to a lot of efficiencies and cost savings. Schlumberger. In this Bloomberg article, there's a really good graph where it shows how um, by Shell switching to Schlumberger from cradle to grave, they've cut their lost time incidents, So they improved their HS&E metrics. Um, They've improved their reliability. So their downtime was cut. They've improved their capital efficiency, so they got a better return on their CapEx investment, and they increase their free cash flow. We're in a long-term hydrocarbon abundant environment, which means we're in a long-term low crude price environment. It's stuff like this that Slumberjay is doing in the digital oil field that I think is good, is going good, to uh, help companies um, make money even in this low crude price
0: environment. What is one particular solution? You mentioned that HSE savings. How does that come about?
1: So what happens is you have Schlumberger doing everything. For, in this case, we're talking about a, a, a shell, Royal Dutch shell. So everything in in, in drilling and producing – drilling and completion and producing is done by Schlumberger. So you have the same people, the same company touching everything. So naturally, it's going to be safer because you're not having different companies coming in and do different parts. It increases reliability because Schlumberger can look at the project from one end to another, which then benefits Shell, right? Because Shell ultimately wants to produce oil and gas at the lowest price possible. And it improves improves their cash flow because Schlumberger will, will work and have better um, uh, margin negotiated contracts with them than, than if you had to work with a bunch of different vendors.
0: All right, good stuff. And we'll – Make sure to get that link to the Oil and Gas Young Professionals podcast in the show notes so that if anybody wants to hear you talk more about that, they can. I have to give a big shout out to James Gordy because he's killing it over there. Although I do have to brag a little bit, Mark.
1: What do you have to brag about? <laughs> he,
0: this is now the fourth show that I have launched into iTunes new and noteworthy section. That's cool. The fourth show, four times. I have the formula down, Pat. It's freaking awesome. And
1: folks, we have we have several other shows launching this year. Um, really cool stuff. Still kind of top secret, um, but it's going to happen. And if you want to find out about them, we'll talk later about the LinkedIn group. But you better join because that's where it's going to be announced first.
0: Yeah. So speaking of LinkedIn, you threw this you threw this LinkedIn link in here, and oh my goodness, Microsoft is buying LinkedIn for twenty six point two billion dollars in cash.
1: Yeah, I think this is so shrewd and so business savvy. You know, Satya Nadella, their, their current CEO, is just a genius. Um, here's something you may not know, James. Guess who has the biggest number of users of their free um, Office type of software out there?
0: I'm going to have to say Microsoft. So everybody would say Google Docs, right? Uh,
1: so what he did is a while back he made um, Microsoft Office online free for your iPhone. Right, right. Not for a tablet, not for a laptop, not for a, a desktop, but free for an iPhone. So people adopted it because, quite frankly, it works better than Google stuff. And he's now passed up Google. That is genius. They've also switched their business model. So instead of trying to uh, sell these renewals for these software, I mean, I use Office 365. In fact, our global oil and gas network now uses Office 365, where we pay. $15 a month, and we get Exchange, SharePoint, Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, Excel, and we don't have to worry about supporting it. When it needs to be updated, Microsoft updates it. So I think this is a great move. Um, and the reason I think it's a great move is LinkedIn basically has stalled. LinkedIn's usefulness has quit going up. Microsoft's going to step in and integrate with LinkedIn. So imagine, James, that I walk into a meeting at, um, I, you know, pick some technology company, and my phone goes off 15 minutes before saying, hey, you know what? One of the guys in the meeting actually went to school with somebody you know.
0: Yeah, I think I'm I'm I, I'm not as bullish on this one as you, just because of the fact that LinkedIn has stalled so hard for so long, and they're going after the enterprise clients at such a such a high rate that I'm 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 a bit bearish because I'm I'm wondering what the long term implications are going to be for small business owners. And if it's going to turn into a Facebook type of a situation where it's a pay to play,
1: no, no, no. I
0: don't. I think it's going to be the
1: opposite, right? I think what Microsoft sees the most value in this is LinkedIn's community. And so, if you see the most value in the community, the worst thing you can do is do anything that limits that community, like implement the the Facebook model where you now have to pay to be seen. I, I think the I think LinkedIn's going to improve a lot. I, I think um the the stretch for Microsoft is as we go through time. Um, the enterprise. So right now, and this is 2016. Right now, if if you go to any oil and gas company, uh, literally in, in the world, they're they're most probably a Microsoft shop, right? They're running Exchange as a mail server. They they run SharePoint as their collaboration tool. They're running um, you know all of Microsoft tools. That's starting to change. CIOs and the business leaders are starting to look at other things besides what they think of as big Microsoft. So the Microsoft's in a race right now to try to appeal to the smaller businesses, to try to be modern, fast, quick, to not be the old Microsoft. So if Microsoft can get ahead of that, they'll maintain this enterprise market share. If not, longer term-wise, you'll see other people come in and Microsoft's going to lose market share, yes. which is then not, not going to help the LinkedIn acquisition.
0: Definitely not. So we will we will continue to track that just by virtue of being on LinkedIn. Yeah, <laughs> and, and
1: users of Microsoft stuff. We have no choice.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, Oh, my goodness. My uh, I was going to I was going to go with a weekly danger field instead of the weekly onion because I found that I was able to get you to laugh with one liners off (laughs) offline. But for for some reason, it wasn't saved. So I have to I have to put you through a weekly onion, um, which I think maybe you've seen some of this uh, to get political again. The headline is: "I'd like you to post long, aggressive rants on social media," says Bernie Sanders in supporters' interpretation of speech. And that oh my, silences goodness, me not laughing. That silences you not laughing. But uh, I've got quite a few friends on Facebook that are part of part of that that interpretation crowd. <laughs> this is such a tough room. This is such a tough room, Mark. <laughs> I I just it's, I, it's it's a tough room. I, yes, it is. <laughs> Oh man, I love it. I although I'm I'm gonna solve this issue. I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to make you laugh each week. All right, events on deck. We have one, unless you have any other off the top of your head that, that we're missing, but we have Doug East happening in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm not congratulating the Pittsburgh Penguins for winning the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I give I give them zero points. But it is happening next week, June 21st through 23rd, up in Pittsburgh at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center. Tell us about Doug East.
1: Yeah, so this is Developing Unconventionals. This is um, Heart Energies um, uh event um, if you're in that world if you're in the frack fields in that part of the country go check this out you know one of the things that i think a lot of benefit from the heart events is they actually bring some really expert speakers in and so it's much less it's not really an expo it's much more of a conference um so if you're in the business and the unconventionals in this part of the country go, go check this out
0: yeah and actually i said i said one but just to make sure that that we're on track here because i believe the security is next, it's it's coming up too.
1: Yeah, that is coming up. We just, we, we'll we have to do some research offline and put it in the show notes.
0: Yeah, let's let's do that one as well because, it, oh yeah, it's the fourth annual cybersecurity conference. It's the 27th through 29th. just want to make sure that we're on top of that so that I get there. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a great show. All right, and then moving on to other business, we have the first Friday Q&A uh, less than two weeks away and I was cleaning out my downloads folder, Mark, and came across... A, a batch actually that that I missed over the course of I don't know a few months and so forth.
1: <laughs> are they old are but, they asking when oil could start dropping down from the hundred dollars a barrel yet
0: no they're actually very evergreen so it's a great questions that we have but but we've we've got plenty of room for more so tell us about the first Friday Q&A yes
1: so before we get in that were they in there because they weren't left on the actual blog post
0: that is, that would be a good reason
1: yes yeah so before I talk about this folks, if you have a question for us, the best thing to do because James and I are busy is literally and the show notes, which is actually a blog post just put your questions there then we can't lose them because they're they're on the cyber cyber world. Um, if you have any questions about the oil and gas industry whatsoever, I don't care if it's about production or downstream or culture or whatever. Reach out to us, ask a question. James will give you extra, extra brownie points if you actually leave a voicemail because he's been dying for somebody to leave a voicemail. Um but this is one of our our um this is one of our, our episodes that we get a lot of attention to. People love our, our first Friday QA. So leave us a question. And if you do, we'll, we'll give you a shout out on the air.
0: Yeah. So if you have a question and you want to leave it on this episode's blog post, the show notes, then it's at triberocket.com forward slash TW sixty nine. And you mentioned the LinkedIn group, Mark, and it continues to grow.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. So our LinkedIn group is actually Oil & Glass Global Network. There's a reason it's called that. You'll find out soon, but only if you join. If you don't join, you'll be in the dark. We also have a live event coming up in September. Once again, it'll be announced on LinkedIn group first. And it's going to be very limited. So if you want a chance to even go, you need to join LinkedIn group. And then finally, it's a great place, man. It's all your peers there. So oil, and gas, family, join, ask questions. People help each other. So take a couple of minutes, go join. You'll be glad you did.
0: TribeRocket.com forward slash LinkedIn. And we got a really, really great review from Rationalist Five Stars. Heck of a Hand is the name. I love the handle. Uh, Their insatiable curiosity is infectious. (laughs) Insight and um, tacit knowledge usually acquired by years of industry experience. They ask the right people, the right questions. Keep pushing, gents. John Z. Yeah, thanks, John. That's cool. It's really cool. It's really cool. But we're still short of 100. So so, so give us the sales pitch.
1: Yeah, we're going to keep asking until we hit 100. So do me a favor, right? We're in a growth mode here and it's good we're, we're spreading the joy of the oil and gas industry throughout the universe but we need your help people in other countries people in other planets people in other states
0: other planets yeah you I never know. It. <laughs> right
1: google's pretty big it's pretty
0: big yeah. yeah
1: they cannot find us unless you help us by leaving us a review you leave us a review it elevates us in a show notes so more people can find us so they can enjoy the show so please 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 and i'm gonna keep freaking asking you until you do it Leave us a review. We just want to hit 100. And where are we now, James?
0: We're at 90-some, 90 94, I believe. Uh, so I think we picked up a couple ratings, but we're still at 92 reviews. I don't know. It's in that in that low 90s range. So we, right. just, we just need 10, basically.
1: All right. We know there's over 100,000 of you that listen to us. <laughs> There is no excuse for 10 of y'all not taking a few minutes and leaving us a review. James, can they do it from the iPhone or no? They have to do it from desktop.
0: I've done, I've done review. Yeah, absolutely. You can do it from your iPhone. You can do it in the podcast app. So, or you can go to com forward slash TW reviews on your desktop and that'll take you straight into the iTunes store. And we've mentioned a whole lot of the show notes, so we don't need to cover that again. And if you've enjoyed the show so far. Please share it with your friends. You can do that by going to tribrecket.com forward slash share L I to share it on LinkedIn forward slash share TW to share it on Twitter and forward slash share FB to share it straight to Facebook.
1: Hey, James, before we go, one thing. I I want somebody out there that works for a company to actually do the company-wide broadcast all email and share our show notes and take a screenshot of it. Wow. And, and, and wow. Actually, what you really should do is wait till your coworker leaves his desk for a second and go do it from his account. This way you won't get in trouble.
0: Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to see if this happens. Yeah, so somebody that. Send us,
1: send us a screenshot.
0: all <laughs> oh, company. Oh man, you're going to get someone in trouble with 5,000 people. Um, that's wonderful. All right. Anything else, Mark?
1: No, let's get out of here. So folks, do great work. Pay it forward. And we will see you next time.
0: Go find some grease, guys. I think I saw something on Facebook or Twitter that you have some sort of digital oil field sales training thing coming up. Am I wrong? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, I'm going to cut this out. So it's 28.